This is Owen Tinder Jones. I'm Owen Vaughan Williams. This is Tash Harden. And you are listening to the Owen Tinder Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest Corbin Had a Dream podcast uh, via satellite link, as, as is the way at the moment. I'm here with Ruth. And I'm still in Prairie City in Oregon. You make it sound like it's so exotic. I think it probably is more exotic than uh, my current location, surrounded by microphones and wires on the on the sofa. We are here to obviously talk about the recent Wales games. Uh, Wales beat Azerbaijan 2-1 and also beat Belarus 1-0. We are recording on the night of the Belarus game, so um, our reflections on that might be um, a bit more impulsive, perhaps, than our reflections on the Azerbaijan game. But uh, we will do our best not to ramble too much uh, and try and be a little bit concise uh, about the two results, especially given, ultimately, they are two wins. So, I until... Um, we saw the news that Azerbaijan had drawn 1-1 with Croatia. I was fairly confident I knew what I was going to say tonight. And all of a sudden, I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that today's results actually have thrown that table even more up in the air, haven't they? I mean, I think we should come back to that perhaps once we've talked about our two games. But there's... I mean, I remember you saying before last before last week's podcast, perhaps during the podcast, that you know Azerbaijan aren't mugs. We both watched them in the Hungary game. They took Croatia close as well, um, and I think ironically today's results have also put some some context on what happened on Friday, which I don't think we should ignore. No, I agree. I think. It certainly contextualises a lot of the the things we're going to talk about, I think. And I still think there's valid points to be made um, on both sides of the gig's coin uh, and of the coin of the team. Uh, But it does certainly add context. And for the the point of the group as well, makes things very interesting. But like you say, we'll we'll get back to that. Um, If we talk about the game itself, um, we'll start with talking about the line-up. Um, Giggs went with Hennessy in goal, Roberts, Mepham, Rodden, and Taylor at the back. Allen and Ampadu was the whole, the kind of central holding midfielders. Bale, Wilson, James uh, behind Lawrence up front. Um, I actually think you predicted that lineup pretty much it was, spot on, didn't you? Yeah, I wasn't far off. I had Taylor in rather than uh, sorry, I had Davies in rather than Taylor. And I was I suggested Williams, and he played Lawrence. But I think basic framework is this kind of four two three one pattern that he seems to be starting to favour. I think the surprise in that lineup was the fact that Lawrence more or less ended up being the one, um, and I actually think that's the key issue with that with that plan is that we're playing that three and one at front, but we haven't really got a one. We haven't really got a number nine. We're kind of shoehorning people into that position. And I think that's one of the the problems is not so much the 11 that were chosen for that game, but just who we're asking to do what within that 11. No, I, I think you're right. And I think that the that Lawrence plays up front on his own when, I mean, I'm sure someone can correct me, but I don't think he's ever played kind of up front for Wales, certainly not on his own, especially 
uh, not in a qualifier. Um, and I would also say it's bizarre that he does that when he does have Vokes. And, I mean, I, I appreciate we've only just seen more play for the first time, but when he does have more as well. Um, there are kind of options there, and I just don't know why the one he chose was Lawrence. No, I, I, I can't shed any light on that either. It's, I think if we're going to go down the route of Bale being a number nine, we have to commit to it, and we have to give him as much opportunity to be that, or we play someone up front who is actually used to that position. And this trying to shoehorn someone into that role just seems really strange. I think just going back to the to the system and everything for a sec, I think that mm-hmm. is my frustration with it is that we are shoehorning players in. Um, we're basically trying to pick a team based on the fact that all of our best attacking players get to play, and um, everything else just kind of fits around that. And I, and I don't think that's the right way to go. But he kind of does seem a bit wedded to the system. I've done a little bit of looking into this. Um, he started off with the kind of 3-4-3 system that Coleman was using in the games against China and Uruguay. The Mexico game, he had a change of system and went to this one we're using now and then went back to the 3-4-3 against Spain, where obviously we lost 4-1. Um, and it makes me think that maybe that was the turning point where he decided that 4-3, sorry, 3-4-3 sort of formation wasn't the one for him anymore. Um and then since then, we flirted with a variety of different systems. 4 4 one against the Republic of Ireland away and Denmark at home and the Slovakia qualifier. Used a 4-3-3 almost against Croatia. Um, and then he's also used the 4-2-3-1 against Trinidad. Um, I think all of them, I suppose, are variations of the 4-2-3-1. But it does concern me that the setup doesn't seem to be kind of solid during each game I like the idea of the players rotating around but it, it hammers the home the point to me that sometimes I don't feel like everyone really knows their role and equally the changing systems makes me think that maybe Giggs still hasn't decided on exactly what he wants to do um, as his best as his best 11 but also as his best system yeah I mean we've we've discussed a number of times haven't we what's the plan and what is a gigs side what will it look like i mean i I think my worry is that it's it's starting to be based on players rather than a formation and and a plan it It just seems to be a way to facilitate our best players being on the pitch rather than actually necessarily playing to a plan. Um, and I, that's what worries me. We, we actually, we almost, I know this is going to sound completely, a, a complete oxymoron, but we almost have too many good players that we're then looking for a way to utilise as opposed to deciding what we want to be, what, we, what and how we want to play and who is going to make that 11 and deliver what we want no, I think you're right, and I think I was thinking today. I listened to the Edge Foff podcast uh, a couple of days ago, and they were talking about people setting up a system and the, it, it, to find a way where Gerard and Lampard played in the same team. But ultimately, that system didn't work. So you don't keep looking to find a way to do that. You need to have a system. You stick with it, and and that is the way you progress. Having your best players in the team all the time doesn't necessarily create the best team. Like you've got to have a plan. You've got to know what you're going to do, and you 
pick the best players for that for those roles that you want in this instance if that had meant that I don't know Brooks uh, sorry not Brooks Wilson for example I'm not saying I would have dropped him but let's say Brooks misses out then that's the way it has to be because that's the way your system works and I think the problem is looking through this as I did today that he has used about five systems and as a consequence it feels like he doesn't know what his best team is so as a consequence he doesn't know how to fit everyone in because he's sort of doing on what seems to me anyway like a bit of an ad hoc basis yeah I think that's the fear but then equally we've just won two games in a row for the first time for a fair while Um, I think there are I, I, I think there are clearly issues with what what we hoping to achieve here are we actually trying to find a find a system i think if what we're doing is still trying to find a system then there's an issue there we're now what 15 games in um but you just can't approach this as you know ramsey was missing brooks was missing does that mean that next time he puts the team out it'll be I don't know minus Lawrence and minus Ampadu say and it'll just be those two put out there with actually any real thought about how are we trying to play as opposed to who are we trying to play I mean I, I think you're right in the sense that you know I read he used before tonight he's used 41 different players I think I read in 14 games uh, and I think more tonight will make that mm-hmm. 42 and I'm I don't know if there's anyone else I've missed there Morel Mo- I don't think Morel yeah that's yeah. true that's 43 um uh and when you consider he had I think it was 10 games as to all intents attempts and purposes a free shot um to set things up and build things the way he wanted it seems like he not only didn't use those games well enough because he's still experimenting but also it's not really helped him make his mind up in terms Mm. of what he actually does want yeah i think that is one of my key concerns is it we don't actually seem to have progressed this i can understand that we needed a new approach post coleman we couldn't carry on with that such a defensively centered team um and it needed addressing and the fact that we've got strengths in the forward attacking midfield and wingers we needed to work out how we could utilize that the concern now is we're we're 15 games into what is still feeling like an experiment i'm gonna have to disagree with you slightly i don't think we needed to change the coleman system i think we needed to utilize it in a different way and i also think it's worth pointing out that, that our defensive um solidity actually came from the fact that we only really had one kind of outstanding attacking player in Gareth Bale mm-hmm. and he was supported ably by Aaron Ramsey and everyone else, which is nine other players. Basically, their job on the pitch was to not concede. So I think it's not necessarily the the full system that needs to change, but more the approach, if, if that makes sense. I think if you could easily fit the squad we have now into a slightly more attacking version of that and it still works... I think the problem was there that we kind of didn't have that many out-and-out attacking players who could make a difference, whereas now I think we do, and he's he's struggling to deal with how to maximise them. And I think, for me, I, I don't want to go on too much about this, I do think <laughs> that this, the system he's landed upon and what he seems to be his system 
I really don't think is the right one just because it leaves us far too open in midfield. Yeah, I mean, that's the issue, isn't it? The gaps and the the work that you're expecting Alan and Amper do on Friday or whatever that pair is as a defensive midfield, the, the ground you're expecting them to cover and the work you're expecting them to do and the manpower you're expecting them to work against just isn't working. The gaps there from them forward to the, the, the sort of front midfield players was far too big on Friday. Um, the the wing backs weren't pushing up in, in a way that then enabled um, Ampadu and Allen to kind of spread the ball. It, it was just all too tight. It was, you know, side to side at best. I remember you and I were discussing backwards often as, as much as anything. And I, I don't, if you think how Ampadu changed the game when he came on in the June qualifiers and was able to spread the ball wide um, and made a difference in those 20 minutes. We saw none of that on Friday. No, I agree. And and I th- like like you just said there, that's got a lot to do with where the midfielders were and where the attacking yeah. wide players started. They were far too high up when they started and didn't get enough of the ball, um, which often meant we recycled the ball backwards because there wasn't even a sideways option on sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of made for difficult viewing at time because we didn't always seem to know what where the ball was going next um, and it just became very frustrating I thought um, what just a brief touch on the Belarus game is that Gig said he didn't really feel like the team carried out his plan the way he wanted them to so I assumed he would have stuck with that plan tonight but he didn't he changed it and having three in midfield which did work so if the plan the other night wasn't working, then it begs the question why he changed it for the start of the game today. Surely this would have been a time to work on the plan rather than, again, change it to something else. It just, just with everything, everything's a bit harsh because I keep going to remind myself that we did win these two games. But it's worth pointing out that we... There's a lot of confusion, sorry. In the background, I can hear... Uh, is it Baker Street playing in the background? Yes, Baker Street's going at the and, minute. And just as I was getting to the peak of my point there, the <laughs> sax solo really kicked in. I hope that comes through on the recording. This really uh, adds to the uh, to the drama of the point I'm trying to make, I think. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I, am, I am rambling a bit. Um, and I mentioned there that we have won two games here and we're acting like we've lost two so I do think it's only right we find some positives and Mm -hmm. also excuses is the wrong word because we did win but I also think we should try and find some explanations for the reasons for the way we've played the way we've played if that makes sense okay well I mean positives we scored two goals First time in nine or ten games we scored two goals. I mean, I'm not going to claim they were quality. But I will count. say the first goal was hands down one of the funniest goals I've ever seen in my life. And I felt bad for the bloke almost because he thought, right, that's deflected. The keeper's going to claim this. I'm just going to get out of the way and hope for the best. And in doing so, it square on the side of the face and went in. I didn't even celebrate when it went in. I actually just sat here laughing. It was hilarious. 
So there's a positive. I think some of the individual player performances were good. Roberts played well. Rogan played well. Um, James, I thought, played well. Williams made a difference when he came on. Folks, to an extent, made a difference when he came on. Um, and we won two games in a row. I mean, we can't pretend that's, that's not a positive outcome. I totally agree. I, Rodden was the one kind of big shining light for me. I thought he was excellent. And I want, this is a point I want to go on to make later, but I think if Giggs is going to make his decision on who his centre-back pairing is going to be for the long term, it's, it's got to be Mepham and Rodden for me. Yeah, I would agree. I think it was interesting that they started the game today. I think that might have been a statement of exactly that, that this is perhaps the pair he's hoping will become the fixtures the way Williams and Chester were. Don't you, I, I did, I can't remember, I wish I'd got all of this information on with me now, but I, I think, didn't he start Lawrence in both games, one against the, the game against Denmark and then the game against Albania, and then I thought, right, he's going to be the partner, and then he played him again against Croatia, um, and I think, didn't he keep him in as well in the Hungary away game? And now all of a sudden he's not got any game time, so I agree with you, I'd like to think that this is his statement, but previous... Uh, moves perhaps suggest otherwise yeah I mean again he's changed a great deal of the personnel you know as you said a few minutes ago we're into the 40s in terms of the people that have been capped under him in these games so there isn't a stability there but I think the important thing is he goes with a pair and sticks with them and at the minute you know I think perhaps Lawrence could feel hard done by that he thought he was building a, a partnership with, with Mepham and then has not been allowed to continue it. But equally, if Rodden is the informed player, we can't ignore that either. Um, and I think there's a potential longevity in that partnership that you haven't got in a, a Mepham-Lawrence partnership as well. I'm going to come back to, to something you just said there because I do want to continue with a, with a positivity and kind of reasoning for, for, a, for a section. Um <laughs> I do think he got Giggs got a lot of unfair criticism about Taylor's performance, Hennessy's performance, um, and individual things that have gone against him in the past. Um, I would have picked Taylor before. I, I think I put Taylor in my team at the start. Um, you didn't, so mm-hmm. well done you. Um, but... I think a lot of people wanted Taylor to play because I think I read somewhere that of all of the players in the squad, he had played more, he'd had more game time, sorry, in the Premier League than any other player in our squad. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to think that that was a sensible move and I and one I kind of went for. Equally, Hennessy, I don't think, I, I definitely wouldn't have chosen anyone else. Um, so I, I do think it's a bit unfair that Giggs is getting flack for that. Um I also remember a lot of the time last at the end of Coleman's reign, and I actively don't want to compare Con- Coleman and Giggs' reign because they're very, very different. Um, but I remember saying a lot during the end of Coleman's reign, finding excuses for him on the basis that the big three, as we called them, mm-hmm. Bale, Allen and Ramsey, hadn't played together um, for a lot of his matches. There was some percentage that was flying around. Um I'm just looking down at my notes here. Do you know how many times he's played the big three, as we're calling them, um, together in his now uh, 15 matches in terms of them starting games? 
can't actually think of once where that's happened. Um, they've only started three games together. Okay. Because, and a lot of it is, and we talked about Ramsey's absence in the Euros and the mm-hmm. effect it had on that Portugal game. Um, he has only been able to start Ramsey once in the last 12 months since we lost to Spain. Mm-hmm. So to give Giggs some sort of credit, he does have to not maybe not shoehorn people in, but he has an ideal way of playing. And if you want to take anyone's best players out of that dream way of playing, all of a sudden, perhaps it doesn't look the same and, and feel the same and that you have to do things that you probably don't want to do to, to get a system together so that it does work. And admittedly, he hasn't found that yet, but maybe he's also not had the chance to play those best, those big three together. And that is a, a part of the reason he's chopping and changing all the time is because he's waiting for the opportunity where he can finally play the three of them together. You can't disagree where Ramsey's concerned. He he makes a difference. And I think the sort of three in midfield that we saw today, if that included Ramsey, you've got such a strength there potentially and the way that he could then he would then push forward potentially with Alan and, and Ampadu behind him you, there's there's no denying that a team is going to be better with him in it and you're right we were ap- apologising for, for Coleman's difficulties by the end of that qualifying campaign where he wasn't able to play the three of them at the time it was more that Bale was missing but now Ramsey is missing. And I think the way Bale can play off Ramsey is is genuinely key to our success. The, what I do think is different now than then is the quality of supporting cast that we potentially have. I mean, you could see it in the Azerbaijan game. They were much more frightened of James than they were of Bale. And the you know how Brooks has been playing, how Wilson can play. I think the difference now is that being missing one of those three shouldn't impact. I would hope shouldn't impact to the extent that it did, say, two years ago. Could you argue, though, playing devil's devil's advocate a little bit, <laughs> that perhaps he talked about the plan not working because he's asked Wilson to play in more of an eight role than a ten, for example. Yeah. that role that Ramsey kind of thrives in. And, mm-hmm. and Ramsey's uh, sorry, Wilson didn't do that. So he is trying to implement something, and whoever you want to point the finger at there, um, you could certainly make the argument that Giggs is doing what he would do. He's replacing someone within that system, <laughs> the best player he probably can at that position. Um, but that player hasn't followed his instructions properly. Do it, could we say that that's a possibility? I think it's a possibility. Um, yeah, based on Friday's game, you can say it's a possibility. I don't think Wilson had a terribly good game on Friday, um, but I certainly you, don't think he had the poor game that everyone is kind of criticising for. His, his corners were shocking, but it's, it's, yeah. Um, but I don't think he had a poor game. I don't. I think he got a bit too much sl- uh, grief in my mind. Okay, well, I don't. I don't think he played well, but the that might be because he was being asked to play something that's unfamiliar. Now, I don't 
I, you can't blame Giggs if what he's looking for there is a kind of reserve for when Ramsey's not available. He's looking for a reserve number eight. And it, at face value, Wilson might be the place to start for that. And you've got to give him the experience. You've got to put him in a position and ask him to play that. Um, whether he is actually the best man for the job, I think would be open to bet to debate. But I can see why Giggs turned to him if the if the notion was if I'm going to be missing Aaron Ramsey, who who do I think is the next best option in that particular position? Um, and also, I think. Wilson, if you imagine having Brooks back, um, I suppose Lawrence would be the the one that you'd you'd drop out of how we started at Azerbaijan against Azerbaijan. But that would immediately mean you'd have Bale up front again. And are you trying to move away from that? You could see in the half he played today the difference he made playing in that kind of inside le- uh, inside right position. Um, But equally, I can't go again the idea that if you're looking for reserve number eight, perhaps Harry Wilson is your best starting point. I think he is. The things you were saying there actually open up an interesting question in that, you know, do when all our players are fit, are Brooks's Ramsey, uh, they both come back into the team? Is he? I think he again would put Bale up front to facilitate those others behind him, which I still, as I said before the game, and I stand by, I still don't think is the right thing. Bale is so much more of a threat on the right. Um, I think that means you play Brooks on the right. Uh, sorry, Giggs. Uh, oh my God, I'll start again. <laughs> I think that means you'd have to play Bale on the right, James on the left, Ramsey as an eight, and Vokes or more up front. Because those are our, in my opinion, in our those are our best players and those roles, and that means yes, Brooks and Wilson miss out, but we can't switch everything around just to accommodate people. Mm-hmm. We can't push James up front or Bale up front just to accommodate them. This needs to be the way we win best as a team, mm-hmm. and I really, really, really hope that these two games have hammered home to gigs that. Bales' best position is out on the right, and I really hope he's recognised that we do need to have a number nine up front, a centre forward, someone who can play that role. Um, because, hopefully, for the next qualifiers, he's going to have a hell of a selection dilemma, and mm-hmm. I think he needs to know long in advance what his plan is going to be. And Maybe we're going to see his first-choice plan in the next two games, but I'm just not... I remain unconvinced that he knows what that plan is and I feel a fear, sorry, that when we play against our next two games, Bale's going to be back up front and it's just going to be a bit of a free-for-all underneath. Yeah, I mean, that goes back to what we were discussing earlier. The actual, the notion of a sort of 4-2-3-1 in and of itself, I haven't haven't got an issue with um, if you're providing the support to Ampadu and Allen in that too. The issue I have is we're trying to play as though we have a number nine and we don't have a number nine. So there's little purpose in trying to play with that if you haven't got someone that's actually got the, the announced and the the understanding of of what that position involves and be you know, just getting in the right space, mucking up the defenders, you know, sp- sp- 
stamping backwards onto somebody, just pushing your weight around, you know, running in the channels, all that stuff. Whether you're approaching it the way we did with Hal as more of a, li- a sort of little menace or you're approaching it more the way we did with Sam Vokes as a kind of big man up front. Either way, you've got to have a target man who knows what they're doing. I totally agree. And as good, and as good a footballer as Bale is, it's not the part of the field where he knows what he's doing intuitively. And when I think particularly in international football, when you're, you're working, by definition, you're working with people you don't see that often. You're creating a, a pattern of play based on two or three days of training. I think the ability to kind of let someone play their natural game is quite important. And I think it's a harder scenario to put... Um, to put someone in as a sort of pseudo number nine if, when it's not their natural position. I think it's a harder ask at international level than it is at club level where you, you can actually, you know, practice with your wingers, understand each other's movements, eat each, read each other's play better. I think you're actually making it harder at international level. I agree. And that's why I know we keep going on about this, but that's why I think it's so important that we do have a set system so that players know what they're not only that they're going to be playing their preferred roles, but also they know what they're stepping into. They know what they're going to be asked to do and they know how they're going to play. And it's so important, I think, that they do that. And rather than coming in and like he says, I've only got two days to do all this. Well, it shouldn't be that way, mate. You should be able to make the decision that they don't have to come in. It's not a surprise what's happening. Like They should know what's happening from the get-go. Um, I feel we are in danger of rambling a little bit, so I do <laughs> just want to move things on a tiny bit. Um, the big thing, a lot of the, the talking point was Hennessy's error for the goal. And I appreciate Taylor was at fault in the first instance, but, but giving the ball away. But that was a very, very poor shot that was hit straight at him and he fumbled it straight out. And again, Taylor hasn't helped him by kind of not um, preempting some sort of reaction. But that was the mark of a goalkeeper who has not played this season. Um, how do you think, how would you solve the goalkeeping issue on the basis that all three of them aren't playing at the minute? In fairness to Giggs, I'm I'm not sure this is a, a, a something we, as in Wales, Giggs, FAW, can solve. If the three of them aren't getting game time at club level, either you live with it and you accept it, or you've got to widen the net and you've got to start looking at Owen Van Williams or Chris Maxwell or so, you know some of the other. Uh, other keepers who are at least getting playing time. I think you do have to look at, like, based on one error in that game, is that enough to actually be putting up the pressure on Hennessy for his place? I'm not sure it is. Um, Danny Ward looked fine today, but he wasn't particularly tested either. Yeah, he didn't have much to do. No, no. So... In fairness, I'm not sure this is something that Giggs and Co. can solve. I think that this one, I think they're between a bit of a rock and a hard place. Um, I would certainly, in the larger squad next time, make sure that there's a fourth keeper that's getting some playing time. 
and see if it makes a difference in training. See if you can see an appreciable difference and then consider things from there. But, but equally, I think it would be a very hard pair of games to put someone else in at the minute. I think you're right. I think there's two there's two ways of looking at it really. I think you're right. If you'd have picked Ward for the game, game Ward makes that mistake, he gets hammered for dropping Hennessy. As it is, he's kind of or maybe not hammered for picking Hennessy, but he's getting a bit of grief for picking him. Um the only thing I would say is that I think the Owen Von Williams situation is an interesting one. There's no point in my mind unless Ad, uh, Adam Davis is the next I don't know, Ika Casillas or the next Neville Southall, then I don't see a point in having him in there if he's not playing regularly and you've bring in, you've brought him along and he's still not going to play. It's not doing anyone any favours. So I just don't see the logic in not bringing Owen Vaughan Williams and because he's playing regularly, he's playing well. All right, you don't have to start him. If you want. If you decided Hennessy's your man and you're sticking with that, then I think that's perfectly understandable. I don't think there's many people who would argue against that. But in terms of having another person alongside him who can offer a legitimate challenge for that place, at the minute I just don't see how either of the two can do that, given neither of them are playing. And I think you're right. He needs to have Giggs needs to have a look at someone who's playing regularly to see if there is a noticeable difference, uh, and see if that is something that they can bring to the squad. Um, because at the minute, Hennessy needs to have someone take that jersey off him but that's never going to happen if he's alongside two other people who aren't playing in the squad and I think there needs to be genuine competition he needs someone else in there who's going to Giggs is going to throw in there and say right he's playing every week in Scotland you need to take that shirt off him that ups everyone's game if Hennessy just knows he's going to play come what may now then I, I, I feel like his level could kind of drop and then as a consequence we are in a real dilemma then yeah, because I can't see him playing much for Crystal Palace the way they've started the season. No, um, I agree. I agree. I, the idea of picking our best players is something we've we've talked about before, and I just want to touch on here. I've done doing my research. Depending on how you look at it, to start games, Giggs has used either eight or nine defensive partnerships and by partnerships I don't mean across the whole back four I just mean centre backs and I say eight or nine because it's debatable kind of how you look at whether he's used a two or a three in in a couple of games at the the centre back but it raises an interesting question for me because looking at Hennessy there but also Taylor has played all of that time in the Premier League this season and all right he's not set the world alight but he's done well Yet, Ben Davis is unquestionably a better footballer than him, but hasn't played much. So does... does Someone's having a great conversation in the background there. Um, so does Giggs need to say, right, I'm going to pick my best players almost regardless of how much game time they're getting for their country because that's what I think I need to do? Or does he need to say, this is still up in the air every week, Every time you come, whoever's playing regularly for their club, whoever's in form, gets the nod. I, th- I mean, for me personally, I, I think one of the big things that you talked about there, we talked about there, sorry, have the players coming into a settled setup. They know who's going to be playing, barring injury and illness every week, and they, need, and they know who's going to be around, and they know 
um, who's going to be alongside them. And I personally think that makes a big, big difference, having a settled team and not going into every single game we play and everyone is second-guessing what the 11 is going to be. I think that is really counterproductive. And I think for me, I think whilst being informed and everything is great, if you've got your best players available, you play them come what may. Yeah, I'd much rather see a, a settled team. I mean, that's a, a, a strength we had, you know, going going back, we're going back to 16 again, but it undoubtedly helped that everybody basically knew what the starting 11 was, give or take, you know, a Ledley injury or something. And there is, there's a confidence and a stability and an ease of play that comes from that. Um, and I, I think we've lost it. And I was okay with losing that if we treating the first, you know, eight, ten games as a, as a free hit. Let's see what we've got. Let's see what people can do. But when it comes to qualifiers and competitions, you need folks to know what the man on the inside of them is going to do next, to know who's going to be overlapping when, to know if they're going to get some protection behind or have got a drop back. You just need to know that. I agree. Um, and I think the I would rather we were playing the Davies of the world consistently or the Taylors of the world consistently, but just let's have the consistency. I agree, and I think that would make a big, big difference. And I think choosing a centre-back pairing and choosing the full-backs and um, those players playing when they're available, I think, is the right way forward. Um, I do think, though, we as fans and podcasters and bloggers (laughs) and whoever else wants to have their say on Welsh football, not just you and me particularly, I do think we create a lot of problems for ourselves that aren't necessarily there and a, and a talking point against gigs that isn't necessarily genuine in that every time I don't know Harry Wilson scores a goal that everyone's going bonkers on Twitter saying he's the best footballer of all time and then he gets to the game and he's not very good and everyone's going oh, I don't bloody know why Giggs is playing him um, and you know it, it happens a lot where Brooks is playing well for Bournemouth you know is another good example and he's well, you know why is he not playing for Wales Ampadu's not playing for Leipzig. Oh, it doesn't matter. The boys' class. Like, we, I, I also don't think we as fans are kind of not that gigs could deserve consistency from us necessarily. We're entitled to our opinion. But I do think there's a lot of bluster that goes around so that, to all intents and purposes, it gives us something to talk about, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we, we are, after all, Dave, just won two games in a row. And yet, I couldn't be more worried about the situation. I mean, I mean that that in and of itself makes no sense. Yeah, no, and that's that's <laughs> that's exactly it. I think we're we're all kind of desperate to find drama. I saw you know people saying on Twitter you know about these these two games. This has been absolute shit. I mean, it hasn't. We lost two 0 to Finland in front of nine people in front of Millennium Stadium. Yari Lippmann and didn't leave the centre circle, and you know that was absolute shit. Um, you know, we had a group of albeit what had turned into good players, but had no clue what they were doing. A manager was probably drunk half the time. That is absolute shit. I don't think that winning two games on a bounce, regardless of the performance, 
is absolute shit. I think Giggs has walked into a bit of a, an awkward position in that he's the man who's... Basically, if we're being brutally honest here, we are never, ever going to get to the semi-final of a tournament ever again, you know, barring something miraculous. Um, Ruth is ruefully shaking her head, I can see across the video. Um, but so he's almost, and so has anyone else, got the impossible job, because not only is Giggs trying to get us to where we were last, he's also trying to make us be the best we've ever been in our history again so I think it's really important and I know you know we've just slated him I think the context of things is so so important and I do think I, I was thinking about an analogy that I heard today um, comparing Steve Bruce and Rafa Benitez Newcastle beat Spurs 1-0 a couple of weeks ago everyone's just like oh bloody hell that was a bit lucky but you know I suppose decent decent result for Fatty Bruce if Rafa Benitez is the manager of that team, everyone's just like, oh my God, it's an absolute masterclass by Rafa. So I, I do think our perception, uh, by our, like, I mean me, and to an uh, to extent, I think I'm speaking for you a bit as well, is that ultimately we didn't want Giggs to be the manager. So every time he does something wrong, we're like, oh my God, he's useless. And every something well, it's just like, well, Gareth Bale's the best player. Of course he's going to score a world and put in the top corner. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Didn't stop him missing that sit of day, did it? I say this a lot, but I believe I would have scored that goal. <laughs> to be fair, yeah, what, it was on his left foot, so I definitely would have tripped over my own feet <laughs> and, and head-butted the goalkeeper in the groin. It's exactly what I would have done, I'd imagine. Okay, go back to your point. Sorry. I, I, can't, I, I can't disagree with what you're saying about Giggs. I think in some respects, he is on a hiding to nothing. If we qualify, it will be because we've got an amazing crop of players. And if we don't, it'll be his fault for blowing the talents of an amazing crop of players. So, you know, if you look at it at that level, he's he's only in a lose-lose situation, really. And in that respect, it, it still surprises me that he, he wanted the job. Um, but that said, he is our manager. He is in charge of making this work. We do have an amazing crop of players. Qualifying should... I'm not saying we should qualify, but we should be in the hunt. The irony is that today's results probably have ensured we're going to remain in the hunt. You know, we're down to four games. Ball's in our court. We have to get it right. And I think that is what is worrying me about the performances over the over the weekend is it's about the performances and are we actually in a place where we can go forward and perform well enough to get what we need out of these coming four games it's an interesting one though isn't it because the performance is only relevant Mm -hmm. to an extent because we won and it's against Azerbaijan but then I feel like the relevance of that is skewed a little bit when you look at the fact that they've beaten uh, drawn, sorry, with Croatia 1-1 today. And I think all of a sudden there's just, there's a lot of different perspectives and, and takes you can look at because Croatia, the World Cup runners-up, you know, and and we we lost to them, Azerbaijan drew with them. You know, if we're going on these sort of things, I don't know, it, there's just a lot of things up in the air. Yeah, Undoubtedly, but I think 
I mean, it's kind of part of being a supporter, isn't it? Yeah, that is the glass always only half. It's you know, it's half empty. It's not half full. I think we we have a tendency to look for the black clouds rather than the silver linings. Um, and I think what concerns me and leaves me uneasy, despite the two wins, is are we actually in a position to go forward and do what we need to do in the next four games? And there's so little evidence that we're actually ready to tackle those fixtures. I mean, I think you're right. But if we keep getting the results and it doesn't matter how scared it gets us, then it doesn't matter. Do you, do you know what I mean? I know I'm being a dick here. I'm doing it on purpose. But do you, do you see what I'm trying to get at? Yeah, but then what's to say the results don't go like the, the last doubleheader back in June? What's to say they're going to go like September's doubleheader? I agree with you. But what I'm saying is, is if, the, if we win the next two games, you know, we're back in pole position. Are we then going to be saying... You know, oh, we, we didn't play very well, or or are we going to be saying, well, if we get to the Euros, we're going to get slaughtered? Do, do you know? I, 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 like you say, I feel like Giggs is sort of on a hide into nothing. And I did say in a tweet straight after the game when I was on my thirteenth can of strongbow that I wasn't going to find excuses for him anymore, and I am exactly doing that. I do just think, in the wider context of the group, which we're going to talk about now, I, I do think that that Azerbaijan result tonight has absolutely changed my perception of our performance. No, I think that's a fair comment. We've watched them against Hungary. We obviously haven't seen how they played against Croatia, but to get a draw there is, is you know, it's clearly a good result. They took them relatively close at home as well. So it's... I mean, it's 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 got the stamp of our last qualifying group all over it, hasn't it? Where it yeah. was... It's going to be a just, nerve, nerve, nerve rattler. Yeah, just horrible. And I think you know, obviously, it's not just that result. I think the Slovakia-Hungary result today was was key as well. You know, the fact that that ended up with both of them now on nine points, um, and having played a game extra from us. Just, just in case anyone is unsure uh, on the group, as it stands, Croatia are top with 10 points, Slovakia second with 9, joint with Hungary, who also have 9, and then we are on 6. Uh, Azerbaijan, bottom of the group, with 1 point. The big difference is here is that we have a game in hand. It's difficult to be annoyed when you, when you look at that, and I appreciate that, in, in, that, that that entails us going to Slovakia and winning that game. And then we have Croatia at home, which again is a huge, huge game. But beat Slovakia away, draw with Croatia at home, all of a sudden... You know, I'm I'm packing my bags and booking my flights. You know, I, I, it's it's an interesting, it's a really interesting one. I I think that the fact that at the same time as we're playing Slovakia, Croatia are playing Hungary, so one or other of them could pull away slightly at that point you know your betting would be on Croatia given they're at home and their, and their track record and then you're in a you know if, assuming we do bleak Slovakia you, you're in a dogfight then of three teams on nine points oh my god know, this is horrendous just... 
Oh, shit, the bed. I tell you what, <laughs> let's avoid doing the serious maths for now. Because I know <laughs> okay. I've, I've had a long day in work and I, and I don't think I've got the patience to, to not the patience, sorry, I haven't got the brain power to, uh, to deal with this. I think the long and short of it is, is that results this week, if we take the performances away, have absolutely gone in our favour. Croatia haven't pulled away anymore. If we take enough points in the next few games, then all of a sudden, you know, we're back. I think we're in the driving seat all of a sudden. And I appreciate there's a lot of ifs, buts and maybes. But I think I think the doom and gloom is not necessarily fair, given the overall, given the situation. I can't disagree because, you, you know, you look at the table, we've got that game in hand. And there's no question it's been a, a very... Um, a very good weekend for us across the results. So, as you as you were saying before, the the performance only becomes the question because we won. So we can't we, we can't moan about the win. So we moan about the performance. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I do think there's a as you say there's a tendency to just overthink everything. But I think that's kind of what we do. It's kind of the territory. Yeah, it's part of the course, being a Welsh football <laughs> fan, really, isn't it? Um, just one last question. It's but more of a general question, I suppose, uh, on, uh, on on the Azerbaijan game before we briefly move on to the Belarus game. Um, if we don't qualify, is it a failure and gigs goes? And And... If we do qualify, but we play this kind of messy, turgid football, do you care? Oh, I would put the I'd put the qualifying ahead of the how we qualify. Undoubtedly, um, is it a failure? If we, I think it depends how we don't qualify. If that makes sense, you know, if we end up third in the group, but we just miss out on goal difference or something like that. And don't forget, we potentially got the Nations League playoffs potentially as well um so i think the how we don't qualify might determine whether it's an out and out failure on gigs's part um you know if we if we are let's say we're drawing one one in the crucial last game and there's a penalty that we clearly should have been given or there's a penalty goes to the opposition that clearly shouldn't have been. You know, if, if we lose a game under those sorts of circumstances, I think that's different than getting a 3-0 drum in and kind of marched off the field. So I think the how might be important. But I would undoubtedly put qualifying above the the how of the performances, which is why, ironically, you know, we probably deserve a bit of a slap for for being in this kind of funk when we've just won two games. No, I agree. And I can't slap you because you're 3,000 miles away. But rest assured, Ruth, that I would. Uh, um, no, I think you're right. I, I disagree with you about the if we don't qualify, come what may. However, you know, whoever we're pointing the finger at or someone gives away a penalty that shouldn't be a pen and all of those things... We've had enough other chances through, you know, we shouldn't have lost to Hungary away, uh, for mm-hmm. example, um, where I think we can right those wrongs. So I I don't agree with you there per se, especially because we have the backdoor opportunity of the um, Nations League playoffs, should it come to that. And 
by speaking to a few people this weekend, I think if we come third, it's going to take some sort of bizarre miracle not to get into um, the the qualifiers, even fourth, mm-hmm. in fact, for the for the Nations League qualifiers. So I think if, if given all these opportunities that he still doesn't get us there, then come what may for me, I think he's got to go. But again, here we are saying this, like you just said, we, you know, we've just won 2-1, results have gone our way, we've got a game in hand, we're four points off the top with a game in hand, you know, you'd, 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 snap, you'd snap someone's arm off for that. So maybe I'm being far too negative looking for, looking for the end of the line. But I do really do think that failure to qualify here uh, is, a, is not an option for gigs for me. Well, he's kind of said as much, hasn't he? He said he'll be judged on whether we make it to Euro 20. So he, he has to stand by that, I think. Um, yes, I think he does. And I think he re- ultimately, if we're being honest here, he wants to get a club job out of all of this. And I think he's only going to get that if we qualify and then perform in some way, shape or form when we get to a tournament. So if we get to a tournament, so I think... It is obviously, I mean, it's obviously in his best interest, but I think there's something, there's a very clear pathway that he wants to, to go down. Um, and I think that can only happen if we qualify. So I did say at the start of this that I didn't think we would qualify. And all of a sudden, I'm less sure now. I, I, I do think there's so many ifs and buts, but, you know, famously, famously good at predictions. I said we'd win this with 3 0. That went well. Um, but, you know. I, I wanted to, to talk a little bit about leadership and accountability. Dave, because that I think is one of the things that concerns me is leadership on the field and accountability on the field. I do think we've lost something key without Ashley Williams' involvement on the field. I think Ramsey brings it too as well. I think the fact that you've effectively got two captains in inverted commas when they're they're both there... Um, I was some of the one of the things that concerned me in Friday's game was, and it's difficult to tell from the television clearly, but seemed to be the lack of communication, the lack of lack of chat, the lack lack of kind of pointing out each other's uh, roles, support, and that doesn't all have to be negative. It can be positive as well, but there didn't seem to be a lot of communication and a lot of leadership and a lot of just a lot of chat. Um, on the field and I I am not convinced that Bale makes a great captain not because I don't think he's captain material but I don't think he's a talker particularly Um, and I'm but equally I'm not sure I saw that from Alan today either I just uh, just something I I wondered if you were seeing the same thing or you think I'm overanalyzing that um, I'm going to go back to the fake news <laughs> conversation <laughs> I started earlier. Um, I, I, I think we may be overanalyzing there. I, I think I don't think it matters. I think at this stage, if the players and the staff and everyone involved don't want to see Wales win, and the reason they can claim that something didn't work is because Gareth Bale didn't shout at them enough or... Joe Allen's not a talker on the pitch or can't communicate in the dressing room. I, I, th- I think we're clutching at straws there. Personally, mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen anything from one or the other. I do think Joe Allen's quite a good leader, in the sense that he he, he leads by example. He doesn't need to be a shouter. Um, mm-hmm. 
I also agree with you. I don't think Gareth Bale is necessarily a, a natural leader. Um, but I think there's enough big personalities in that team. Ampadu, for example, is definitely a natural leader. Um, but did we see that on Friday? I think from Ampadu we did, yeah. Just in his demeanour. and I don't think he had a particularly great game, but in his, in his demeanour and his attitude and just the way he is on the pitch. Um, I think Rodden could be a captain moving forward. He seems like a talker and an organiser. Mm-hmm. I think Ben Davis definitely could be. He really is a talker and an organiser. Um, but I think just because someone's not wearing the armband, I don't think it changes the way they act on the pitch. So mm-hmm. to to me, I don't think it matters. Like I say, if we can't right, uh, rouse ourselves to get to get our stuff together to play these big games and try and get to a tournament, I think we've got bigger problems. I think. Okay, fair enough. Um, to try and t- t- uh, move on to today's game against Belarus because we said we're not going to waffle too much or batter gigs too much and we've just done about 58 minutes of exactly that <laughs> uh, I think I think it's only right we do move on um, today we played and beat Belarus 1-0 um, started with a slightly tweaked formation which is if we're going to stick with four at the back how I would like to see us play moving forward which is like a 4-3-2-1 instead of Four two three one, um, Ward in goal, Davies at left back, Rodden and Mepham. Who I hope this is a sign of things to come that they are our centre back pairing. Uh, Roberts at right back again, Allen, Williams and Morell all in a kind of like a central holding midfield role with Williams kind of given license to burst out of that a bit. Uh, James on the left, Wilson on the right, and Moore up front. Um, I like I said, I personally think that is the way we should play with Ramsey instead of Williams, and obviously mm-hmm. maybe Ampadu uh, alongside Allen, uh, Bale on one side and uh, evokes up front, or, or more for that matter. I thought he played quite well today. Um, what overall? What is your assessment of the game? Yeah, I mean, I'm more comfortable with that three in the middle. The pace was better. The flow was better people running off each other, just the whole tempo. Um, given the speed we've got, that was one of the frustrations from Thursday was just how slow and deliberate we were. And you could see the, the change today. Johnny Williams is an asset. I think even if he ends up, you know, we were talking about perhaps Giggs was seeing Wilson as a as a, a reserve if Ramsey isn't available. But I, I think Williams might have made a case today that he could serve that role better. Totally agree. Um, I, I thought Morel had an encouraging game, actually. I mean, Ampadu would still be ahead of him, but he partnered well with Alan. I thought their play complemented each other very well. Um, more, I mean, I don't think he did much in the first half, but I don't think he was given much to deal with. He seemed much, the 20 minutes or so in the, in the second half he played, he seemed much more involved with the game. Um I, I mean, I would still probably at the minute go with Vokes over him, but I think you know there's a potential number nine there that goes back to the discussion we were having earlier. Rodden and Mepham looked solid enough at the back. Davies and Roberts were getting up much more than they they did on on Friday. Um, so overall, I think I'm just more comfortable with a four three than I am with a four or two. 
No, I agree. And I think it's worth pointing out that Williams bursting out of midfield will do the the job that Ramsey will in that sense mm-hmm. where he runs off midfield. I also think that having more up front is a great thing because he is a centre forward. And I think, you know, and I'm not comparing him to Olivier Giroud, but I'm now going to do exactly that. Um, I think France did so well winning the World Cup with Giroud up front because considering he didn't score any goals, his role for them in the World Cup was to hold the ball up bring other people in, sacrifice himself basically for the team. And I thought that's what Moore did tonight and it worked really, really well in that sense because that's exactly what we needed him to do. Mm-hmm. You hold the ball up, drag a few of their players out, create a bit of uncertainty and give it to one of the fast lads. Um, and it worked because they didn't seem to know whether to stick tight to him, to give him a little bit of space. Um, and I appreciate this, you know, the goal came from a bit of magic, but a lot of op- other opportunities were built from that. Him dropping deep leaving a space in behind, people exploiting it, people running at them, them kind of being off their off their natural rhythm a little bit, and it, and it worked, and we exploited them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that having that centre-forward, be it Moore or, or Vokes for that matter, um, just doesn't matter to me. I think it's worth having someone up there who knows their craft and knows that role and can unsettle and move their defence about and create p- space for other people. And I thought Moore did that really well today. I think the space thing is is perhaps, as you say, is the key aspect of that because whatever combination we have behind a number nine, we're going to have pace. And so the the purpose of that number nine perhaps isn't the striker in the in the sort of historic, you know, Ian Rush type way. It's it's more, as you say, about being able to nudge the defence out of shape, get them thinking. You know, be on be on the edge of the box, drawing defenders, making space for other people, and given given the strengths we have in attacking midfielders, perhaps that then enables them to to be at their best. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair, and I think that having the dynamism of someone from midfield like Williams kind of mm-hmm. couples those two factors of uh, a pain in the arse centre-forward, basically. Um, also, having someone who runs off the midfielders kind of creates two problems there, one for the midfield, one for the for the attack. And again, that leaves leaves more space for Bale, for example, mm-hmm. to or, or James or whoever to do something. Like, if you look at their first goal, uh, our first goal, our only goal, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit that out, um, uh, it comes from Johnny picking up the ball, running at people, and more. All of a sudden, is distracting their centre half. Does the centre half? Because mm-hmm. Williams has gone beyond the midfield. Does the centre half? Which is one of them go out. Who's going to go? If you go, I'll pick up him. By the time everyone has done this and flapped around and made their decision, all of a sudden there's a big space for Williams to run into, which exploits, moves the defence around. Everyone comes nice and tight gives Dan James the ball and he has the chance and don't get me wrong, nine times out of ten it doesn't always work out so perfectly but he can have a bit of space touch, cut inside bosh, he's done that about four times three times for Man United so far this season he's done it again for us today and it just shows that that energy and that movement and that drive and the uncertainty creates space for our other players and we absolutely have to stick with this system if Giggs wants to do four at the back and exploit the abilities of people like Williams who I agree with you has staked a claim to be the next off the rank if, if Ramsey can't play in the October games in that in that role and I think that 
someone else like Moore or Vokes has to start up front because it just shows the uncertainty it creates in a defensive midfield. And yes, it only worked out once, but it only does need to work out once. And we scored a fabulous goal. Yeah, and I think also the fact that Williams draws so many free kicks from exactly what you're describing. The, the defence is rushed because he's coming at them. They're not quite sure who they pick up. They feel, you know, nudging him off the ball might be the, the best scenario. And we can't pretend that having free kicks 20 yards outside the outside the goal isn't a good outcome for us, given the free kick takers we have. So I think the fact that he can draw those as well is an important part of his game. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. And, I, and he did that well. I thought the, the Belarusians were actually a little bit lucky not to get a man sent off tonight. Then number eight, mm-hmm. I, I forget his name, was he was everywhere but he was everywhere kicking lumps out of people I thought he was bloody <laughs> awful I, even Giggs was having to go at the, the ref at the end of the game um, my only concern as we always have to go to a negative was <laughs> that at a point at 1-0 up he did revert to the two holders and it, I, th- mm-hmm. I think it was when Giggs came on we had the line of three at, you mean, oh ba- my you mean God, why am I keeping doing that <laughs> I've not even had a drink um, see, greased. Um, I think that what he did was Giggs put Bellamy on the. Uh, oh my God, Bellamy! Wow. <laughs> what is wrong with me? Oh. oh my God! I'm blaming this on having to teach uh, year four at the end of the day. Um, Giggs has done is brought Balon on the right. I should have auto cues. Yeah, for you should. You. <laughs> little little signs. Oh, you've interacted with that. I got it right that time and everything. <laughs> Bale on the right. Then he brought on, pushed Williams over to the left, and uh, and Wilson was staying as that number ten role behind Moore. Um, but again, and again, in doing that, then we became much more open in midfield, and it's at a point where we should be trying to shore things up. Now, that's good because he recognised there was something not right there. And toward the end of the game, he brought Volks on. And I want to mention mm-hmm. him again in a moment. But he recognised that that wasn't working. So brought on another midfielder to kind of shore things up there. So he realised mid-game that that plan wasn't working and reverted. But it concerned me that his idea was still to go back and think, right, OK, we're winning 1-0. Let's go back and work on my other plan. Um, and it really didn't work and opened us up a bit more. Our possession was just across the back line and very easy to defend against they kind of pressed us a bit and started put us under not real pressure because Ward didn't have much to do but uh, it created a problem for us where I didn't think there needed to be one can't disagree but I think the fact that it was recognised and he bring, brought folks on I'm trying to, should we find a positive I'm trying to hope that that was a realisation actually our shape is just so much better with three here and I and I really hope so. Um, my final thing I'll say about this: two things actually, because I want to save a positive for last. Um, one of them was I'm just concerned about the kind of excitement over Morel a little bit, in mm-hmm. the sense that everyone got giddy about Volks and he played well against I think it was in, against Trinidad and had an impact when he played against Slovakia in that game. Um, but also then he he started against Croatia didn't do or didn't have a great game didn't have a bad game hasn't played since and I know it's only been a couple of games but I just don't want everyone to get too excited about Morel I, I think he did fit in and he did look very good um, but 
Giggs has seems to have this thing where he's will happily play someone for a few games. They're not worked out right. I'll put them to the back of the queue again, and I wouldn't want that to happen to Morel. Um, the one final thing I want to end on for me is Mepham. I thought he was excellent again tonight, as was Rodden. He has got this thing which is such a good thing to see um, when the goalkeeper has the ball and, again, distracts and confuses people, is when the keeper has the ball, he turns and sprints full tilt into space anywhere, some space, any space, and he takes someone with him and opens up an easy pass for Hennessy or Ward, as it was tonight, to play. And I think that's such a valuable asset. That's obviously something that's been coached into him, be it at Wales or Bournemouth. And I think that's such an asset to have. And it makes me so happy to see that we are trying to do sensible things properly and do them often. And even if he knows he's not going to get the ball, Roberts does it a fair bit as well. He'll Mm -hmm. turn and sprint full tilt into some space somewhere. And I really, really love to see that. And I'd like to think that it's Giggs who's coached that into him because that's a big asset to the way we play if we're we're going to try and keep the ball and and tolerate a higher press from other teams. Yeah, I think it's... Space is one of the key aspects of our play right across the field, actually, isn't it? It's whether it's a threaded pass from Ampadu, you know, behind their pressing midfield, whether it's Allen chipping over the top, whether it's Hennessy or Ward having some space for a pass. Space is actually really fundamental to how we play. And I think that Anything we can do, as you say, whether it's Roberts running off the ball or Mepham off the ball or Rodden as it becomes more established. I think Davies does it a little bit as well, but not as obviously as Roberts. Um, I think anything that can create space is going to be an asset to us because we have the players that have the speed to move into space. Um, So I think one of the key roles for a defensive four going forward, whatever combination that is, is to be pulling their pressing midfield to a point where it's creating space for the more offensive part of the midfield. No, I think that's a, a very, very good point. Um, and like I say, I hope it's Giggs that's, that's coached that into him. Um, final point from me on this game in general, and probably for the pod, given how long we've been going, <laughs> is uh, just want to finish on Johnny Williams, mention him again. He was the sponsor's man of the match tonight uh, at the ground. He was definitely my man of the match. And he, I thought his dynamism and energy really had a, such a positive impact on the on the game. And he upset the uh, Belarusians' rhythm so much in what they were trying to put together. And I think it was absolutely fantastic the way he performed. And if Ramsey can't play next time, then uh, for me, it's him who gets the nod. Can't can't disagree with that, Dave. I was really pleased to hear because I picked it up on the tannoy on the coverage that he got the yeah, man of the match same. award. Um, does bring me. Um, I hate to go back to some negative things, but the the crowds at both games were a little bit of a a concern. I can see tonight, tonight's game was just fundamentally at the wrong location. Really, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, should have been. I don't know. Played down at the Liberty or even up at Wrexham. Um, so I think that might be a lesson in terms of where we, given we have to have these friendlies, where do we take them? I can understand with a home game in Cardiff on Friday, you don't particularly want to be moving the squad up to, up to Wrexham, but we, 
that game could have been at the Liberty or, or you know, even at one of the smaller rugby grounds just to make it a bit more of a an occasion. I think I agree. But the, the Parker Scarlets for this one seemed like the obvious mm-hmm. shout. I think even the Liberty would would be would be too big still. Um, yeah, that's true. And but I agree. I, I think the the problem and it's this one for once. I don't think is necessarily Giggs's fault uh, per se, but I think we've started to treat these like extra friendlies as kind of B internationals. Mm-hmm. We don't, we haven't played a good team in a friendly apart from Spain. Um, that experiment to sell out the Millennium Stadium didn't work either. Um, so I do think that the way we handled it tonight, in I think, is maybe a reaction to the way that the the crowds weren't flocking in. And I think the way we've played it tonight with most of our big players getting some sort of game time, I think is a is a nod to perhaps the fact that, yes, we do have to play these games, but yes, we can find a value with them. They're not B internationals. They are <laughs> useful working exercise. And I think that maybe this one has rattled a few cages in, in terms of we can't do this again. And I think that it seems, hopefully, they've kind of learned a lesson a little bit. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I, I, going back to your point, I thought it was interesting that, you know, James played, Bale played. Uh, when you think about the team we put out in the Trinidad and Tobago game, for example, um, to some extent, yeah, that one in particular, this, this was much closer to a sort of A and a half team, wasn't it? And a bit further away from a raw B team. Uh, but I, I mean, the, the fact that it's a Monday night doesn't help. Uh, the fact that the other game had been on a Friday, again, I don't think that helps. People are not going to travel and make a weekend of it when they've got a bookend both both days. I think you're right, and I think that that is a kind of a, a definite uh, contributing factor. Mm-hmm. Um, the date and the date of the other yeah. game. I, I, I personally, I hate that we do this. You know. Friday Monday sort of thing for Wales and it's always of interest to me that the bigger the bigger nations in inverted commas who people want to watch all around the world your Englands for example and uh, and stuff all seem to play on a uh, on a Saturday more often than not Saturday Sunday um, but anyway that's a moment for another day I, I don't think I could be wrong but I don't think now we have any more double headers that need a friendly until the end of this campaign I don't think we have uh, Slovakia and Croatia in the next double header and then I think the final double header unless I'm wrong is the Azerbaijan game and then Hungary that's right yeah so with yeah we've we because we've got the game in hand we've got a double header in October and a double header in November and then after that the groups will be done Mm-hmm. And we will obviously know our fate, and also what what the future holds in terms of the other internationals further down the line um, for the the playoffs and stuff, depending on on how things go. Yeah. Um, okay. Given uh, we said we weren't going to ramble, <laughs> um, and that is exactly what we've done. I think we should call it a day. Thank you very much to the Prairie Cafe. Is that what it's called? <laughs> It's called the Roan, R O A N, but it's in Prairie City. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure the plug is priceless. Well, to the there pain. you go. <laughs> they will appreciate that free advertising. 
um, <laughs> in lieu of Wi-Fi. Um, so thank you to uh, to the Roan, and uh, if you are in Prairie City, please don't to go and get a coffee from them. I am now rambling absolute nonsense, so I'm going to stop. Um, thank you very much for listening. Um, there's going to be a, a full podcast of a review of the two women's games coming up. Um, we're just trying to finalise a date with Tash Harden where she can come on uh, and go through those two games with us, so please keep an eye out for that. Uh, you can keep up with everything we're doing on Welsh Football Fans, uh, which has got a page on Twitter and Facebook and has its own uh, website as well. So please keep in touch with everything we're doing and everything else that's going on there, uh, which is sponsored by Pure Vans. So thank you very much for listening, and we will speak to you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.